Hey folks, Luke here with a note at the top. So, I knew this day would come. Or, more precisely, I knew that we would get to this episode eventually. And I may as well just come right out and say it. I'm on a boat on this one. Yes, like a boat that floats on the water. Please, don't go away. Please let me explain. Uh, So, Hannah, Ash, and I were on a family vacation at a house on a lake... And our game group meets on Mondays. Hannah and Ash had headed home at the end of the day Sunday, but I was staying for a few extra days. uh, And there was no Wi-Fi or cell signal at the house we were staying at. But weirdly, there was a strong signal out in the middle of the lake, which meant that I would either have to postpone our session or, uh, you guessed it, join the call from a boat in the middle of a lake. This came up uh, over the weekend, and Hannah and Ash Double Dog dared me to do it, and I took the bait. So, um, as you might imagine, this one's going to sound a little different. Again, uh, we never intended to make a show out of this. Uh, we were just recording it for fun, but uh, here we are. So, I, I'm i trying to cast my mind back to that night. I tried to find a quiet spot on the lake, but it was like the end of the day, the sun was starting to set, and everyone's like taking their boats back to their docks or whatever. So at the beginning of the recording, there are some motorboats going by in the background, uh, which is just unavoidably annoying, but it's brief enough that I am uh, presenting that audio to you. Um, And throughout, there's like some wind noise and some, you know, uh, nature sounds in general. So... I started down the path of doing the usual thing of adding sound effects and atmosphere and music and stuff to this, Um, but it just got noisy and frankly quite annoying. Uh, So I'm just going to be presenting this as uh, it's it's edited for pace as usual, but it doesn't have the usual adornment that I like to present these sessions with. Um, But I'm going to offer two band-aids that you can choose uh, one or the other, or both, I guess, to put on this session with your ears and your brain. Um, one is, the action here is taking place at the city of High Lake, uh, which has a lake on it, which I think is part of what helped talk me into doing this on a boat in the first place. But uh, you could imagine, perhaps, that some wizard or a group of wizards Uh, are experimenting with some sort of magical locomotion that propels them across the lake or around the lake. And although it might sound like a combustion engine to us, maybe that's actually just the sound of the magical transportation thing happening. So you could imagine some silly wizards zooming around in the background. Or alternately, the other band-aid I will offer is maybe the city of High Lake was the city in our story long ago, but maybe the lake that I was recording on, you could think of it as the same lake. After many ages have passed, and by occupying that space, the knowledge of its history is somehow imparted to the game group, and the story just came out of us that way. It's maybe a little melodramatic, but uh, there's two band-aids for you. So pick one or use both. Uh, But either way, I think uh, it's a fun episode. Um, Since I've got you here, I'll just go ahead and tell you the show is edited and sound designed by me, Luke Brevoort. Our theme song is Castles in Winter by Joel Van Drogenbroek. All other music is by me. The website for my sound work is splendorsound.com, and you can email the show at vengeancepodcast at gmail.com. And now I will present the rest of the session uh, uninterrupted. So enjoy. Talk to you soon.
I once again like had way too much fun with this map tool and made like a super super detailed map of the city of High Lake, um, yeah. which includes uh, some places that like have names that you have not yet heard. So uh, you'll probably learn about some of those places uh, today. Sorry about the boat noise. There's a group of teens like doing a circle around me right now. Um, so yeah, you guys are uh, in this city, which is uh, full of giant trees and Emerald City looking elven buildings interspersed with spiky orc tents. Um, one detail, so this, this city kind of fleshed itself out um, as I was building it. One detail that would have been readily apparent when you got here would be that there are refugee camps of orcs on both sides of the city walls. It seems like they've filled up all the available space of the sort of entrance plaza and have spilled out outside of the city. It seems like basically orcs are flocking here um, as a refuge. Um, so that seems to be part of what's going on here. Um, but yeah, uh, you're in this city. What do you do? I see there is a place on this map called the Parsnip Dojo. Oh, you noticed that, did you? That's what I was going to say. Did not escape my attention. I guess I, I, if I'm like looking at this map, then I think that uh, the notion of a parsnip dojo would would be more than Palfrey is able to resist, uh, only because the intersection of root vegetables and uh, puissance at arms is something that is just, it's so specific that how could we not? So I want to get the rest of the care crew and see if we can take a quick field trip over there. Definitely. We do have to discuss, we, we have business here, right? We, yeah, we had, we had, made, a plan. We, we had made a three-day plan. <laughs> And that plan was uh, shopping, business, pleasure, and shopping again. <laughs> I do think we should stick to that timetable unless something happens unforeseen, uh, which I've already allotted for 600 different scenarios in which something could happen. But, like, seriously, we, we have got things to do. Like going to the parsnip dojo. Okay. <laughs> I don't know that that qualifies as business, it qualifies as shopping, maybe. We already did the shopping day. This could, uh, I guess it, is, it could still be shopping day. He's right. We did shop, but. You did shop. Perhaps at the Parsnip Dojo, we will shop for enlightenment. <laughs> perhaps there you shall drop. <laughs> Probably is the case. <laughs> well, then, let's get to it. We only have a couple of people to talk to here, anyways. Uh, well, for what it's worth, I think the visit to the Parsnip Dojo will be relatively quick. Uh, because honestly, it's just a funny thing I thought of and haven't really gotten much beyond the name. Uh, but we'll say, uh, if you make a quick Close. visit... <laughs> um, the doors are bolted up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just closed, um, but it has a cool name. Uh, no, you go there and you find um, it is the uh, the dojo, the uh, the training center of the High Lake Parsnip Paladins, who you may recall were one of the... Uh, I don't know, they were mentioned somewhere in relation to, like, the sort of nightly fighting circuit, the above-board fighting circuit. And I think if you enter, you would find uh, a pair of uh, probably, like, the buffest elves you've ever seen. These two elven women who are wearing, like, bamboo sparring armor and are performing feats of strength uh, training against, like, uh, what's the team that the Harlem Globetrotters play against and always beat? Like, <laughs> I don't know what they're called. They have a funny name, but like, you know, like hapless stooges. Yeah. Just, you know, they're kick, kicking ass on some, some trainees. Um, yeah. So basically if, if Palfrey and Magnus want to, or anyone, if you want to ex expand the ring of the character, um, it's a place where you could improve your like help each other skills if you wanted to. 
Yeah, I think we should put in a little time here. We don't need to yeah. make a big deal out of it and take up a bunch of playtime with it. But like, yeah, I would, I would be happy to dedicate the remainder of this in-game day to training at the Parson Dojo, or as much of it as Magnus is willing to spend. Yeah, I mean, I think we should fight, and then maybe you should ask them about Lady Gwendeth. You said this is on the nightly circuit, right? That's, That's right. true. They might know something about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think they would report um, that. Actually, yeah, yeah. Okay, I have a couple of things for you here. Um, they would report that Lady Gwendeth, um, similar, so this was a stop on her planar exit tour, and that she was there about two and a half months back. And it's a similar story to what you heard from the folks in Guildford, where she showed up in a sort of mysterious carriage. Normally she would hobnob with other local fighters, but she didn't. And she seemed more powerful than she had been before. She absolutely trounced them. And she didn't really talk to anyone, and she refused the prize money and left. Same basic story. And then the other bit I think they would tell you is that they don't have any matches coming up, but the reason they're training is that they've been conscripted by the queens. There are two queens of High Lake, two sister queens, who uh, you might learn more about later, to help in the attempted siege of Mount Arduous uh, and the attempted retaking of Stone's Throw. Oh. Mm-hmm. Like an attempt to take it back from Tommy Gilis. Yeah, they, I think they would shudder when you speak the name Gilis. Gilis yeah. um, the Powerful, uh, who seems to have some sort of mystical abilities, has taken Stone's Throw and it is defended by a mysterious and powerful veiled warrior. Didn't, That's awesome. Didn't we hear a rumor that Lady Gwendath was in Stone's Throw? We may have. I'm checking my notes, and I see no record of it, but I would I would believe it. I believe Fist Meat Punch uh, thought he heard her saying uh, that that after her last match, she was going to return to Stone's Throw. Uh, well, Fist Meat Punch said it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, Palfrey has to mentally prepare for the possibility that Lady Gwendath is indeed this mysterious veiled warrior. I think we should train. I think they, the, the Parsonet Paladins, would be like pretty freaked out by you guys connecting those dots and suggesting that that's a possibility like based on how badly she kicked their asses like they do not relish the idea of facing her again especially out of arena combat yeah well yeah we should train here and then also um at the next opportunity i want to broach with the party the possibility that we participate in the siege absolutely and give give them our support absolutely how long out is the siege do we have much time to prepare Actually, um, they would tell you that uh, the sieges, the the, um, the attempts are on hold, pending uh, advancements in siege weaponry coming from the Church of the Immaculate Hammer and the Royal Smith. Oh, this town's got a Royal Smith. <laughs> oh no! We're gonna have a three-day plan. Three-day plan. Yeah. Over. Over. The next person you need to talk to is a real estate agent. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like uh, Magnus and I should probably train here. Yeah. Cool. Let's say, so I feel like you guys already have a pretty good bonus to, yeah. to your helping thing. Um, what I would love is if you guys maybe just like text each other or something and figure out like what move you perfect in this training. Like let's, let's really drill down on like what, what are your core competencies as a duo? Yeah. <laughs> what else is going on? 
we have the letter of introduction to the head of the wizards here, right? Yeah, I believe it's it's specifically to Ankaria of High Lake. Yeah, so we have that business and then visiting the queens. I, I have a question. When I was doing drugs down by the lake, uh, <laughs> did I happen to be doing that near the royal kitchens? Sure. Yeah, we can say that. Great. So yeah. I, I uh, after a long nap, I wake up and notice a smell. I, I, I notice an aroma of food, and I would like to head to the royal kitchens. And like a Looney Tunes character, you float <laughs> along the stink waves. Um, <sighs> Yeah, actually, I think um, I think you would wake from. I'm just <laughs> not to just like uh, dictate every moment of Suka's unconscious in this game, but I think you would wake from. You were dreaming about the uh, the commune and the time you used to spend in the kitchens there. And when you wake up, I think you recognize the distinct yeasty smell of a particular kind of bread that you're very familiar with from the commune. And if you look in the door of the kitchens, you would immediately recognize Shatira, your mentor. All right. From the commune. Awesome. Well, I'd, I'd like to go in and, and say hello. Yeah, I think she gives you a big hug. And um, it's kind of gross because she's sweaty and, like, has obviously been working really hard in in the kitchen and baking lots of stuff. I get it. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you would learn that uh, she has become the royal baker of the high court of High Lake. Ooh. Which would perhaps be surprising given her commitment to the commune but she would tell you that she recently, uh, about a year ago, fled the Asana commune after it was attacked by a mysterious figure who came looking for the bracers. Whoa, okay. Yeah. About a year ago. Yeah, I might be messing up the timeline. When did you leave the commune? I don't remember. We'll go with that. Yeah. I just, I didn't have the bracers at that point. I don't, like, we haven't been together for a year, right? Yeah, so I believe we established that mode three came by the bracers at the museum of obsolescence in Guildford. They were donated to him by the commune. That's right. Okay. After there had been an attempted theft. Um, and so this was that attempted theft. And what you're learning now is that the place was basically leveled by this person who attacked it in rage when they couldn't get their hands on it. Well, that's terribly sad. Yeah. And so like the members of the commune have dispersed and, they plan to rebuild it, but they're taking this as an opportunity to go out in the world and, and they'll reconvene in a few years and think about how they might rebuild the commune. Cool. Yeah. I mean, life is a mandala. It just, you know, just happened. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. So can I hang out while I'm, I know I'm not aware of what the carrot crew is doing, but I also, in my state of awakening here i don't also don't care much i'm not thinking about our three-day plan or anything like that i Uh just would like to hang out and bake some bread that's awesome and i think maybe a long time ago you established that and i don't think it has i don't think it's come up much since that like when you press the digitate to make stuff taste better your like catchphrase is that's zesty (laughs) and i and i think and i think maybe you picked this up from stira Perfect. So maybe the both the both of you are like zestying back and forth. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I would like to at the end of this, I, I I want to make sure that when I leave, I package up some bread for the group. That's great. Yeah, and I think she would ask you like like how have your culinary skills been progressing? Like just from looking at you, she can tell that that you're you've become a fierce combatant. But like, how's the cooking been going? Have you been keeping up with that? It's a little hit or miss. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's good, sometimes not so much, but I, I keep working on it. 
Well, you know, I think, um, Suka, when you were under my wing, you're always good at, at the fundamentals, and you could execute the food, but I really think you could stand to improve on your presentation. I'd be happy <laughs> to teach you a bit about that, if you'd like. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, I'll text you a new s- cooking skill called presentation. Awesome. Uh, which does a thing, which I'll leave to you to unveil to the group whenever you want to. Sounds fun. Thank you. Cool. But yeah, um, you would also learn from her that um, there's been tension in the court of the two queens lately, specifically around this attempted retaking of Stone's Throw and the rise of Gilus the Powerful and the ill treatment of the orcs of the mountains. And she's she's doing her... That's why she's so sweaty, is she's trying to uh, keep the court well-fed and hopefully give them what they need to uh, come up with a way to solve this problem. Okay. I'm happy to help with that. Cool. What else is going on? I'm really captivated by this tree with the misty rings around it. So I'm going to make my way uh, as close to that as I can get. It, I, it looks like in the picture it's behind the royal palace. So I'm not sure if it's closed off or if I can find my way there uh, by working around the palace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the palace grounds are open to the public. Um, I think you would actually okay. run into a fellow ranger as you're heading that way, and they would they would greet you and you know swap wilderness tales with you, which which you have a good one from recently, right? And uh, I think they would lead you over to this tree, and you would see there's a um, a stone with a, a carving in it that identifies it as the Harrow Tree. Harrow Tree. And this is a single specimen that the elves of High Lake managed to get out of the Harrowwood, your home, when they evacuated it some 300 years ago or so. And so, as indicated on the map, it's all sort of piney trees around here, yeah. but this is like a, a lone tropical sort of tree. Okay. And it towers above the rest of them. Okay. Um, and I think they'd be very interested to know that you're from the Harrowwood, because there aren't a lot of people living in the Harrowwood these days. Um, I think they would ask you, what is life like there lately? So, uh, you know, I, I, I ventured out a long time ago to explore magic, and when I returned, I, I found that the land had been pretty much wiped out by some sort of uh, attack. It looked like there were uh, both brute force and magical elements at play. I, I didn't really know everything that happened, and I haven't been back since I joined this crew here. But it looked like there was potential for some, some growth and some, some return to life there, but uh, it's, there's not much there right now. Yeah, I think they would say, you know... I hate to say it doesn't surprise me is if the the lore of our elders is true that that place became too dangerous and unpredictable and and uh, in the end our people our ancestors were barely able to escape with their lives with just how wild that wood became and I'm sure it's only gotten worse so it's it's wonderful that there was enough stability that someone could raise a uh, a competent young ranger like yourself and uh, I'm sorry the people you came up with have been pushed out yeah. Thanks for saying I'm competent. I think it's best we part ways while you think that. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) see. What else? There's an east and a west forge. Yeah, dude. I would like to survey them and take some notes on the variance between the two, if there's any, what fuels they're using, what it seems they're producing, before I head to the church, inevitably. Yeah, um... I am sadly lacking in the terminology to satisfy your questions for the most part, but uh, I can tell you that uh, the East Forge is right next to the Church of the Immaculate Hammer, and the the church, like the church, would probably have a forge inside of it. I'm guessing, but that's maybe more of a like ceremonial or for making small 
ornamental pieces or something. But it's it's sort of like I'm envisioning that in this city the church is it's, it's like the official place where like shit gets made for the kingdom, right? Yeah. So the East Forge is like kind of the official forge of the city, and the West Forge is more of a like public forge that folks can go and use. That's awesome. They have a maker space in this town. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and there's like, and I forgot to put it on here, but there's like a co-working space with like an espresso bar in the basement and, you know. <laughs> this might actually be the perfect town. Above ground, of course, which sets the bar very low. <laughs> All right. Well, with that information and, you know, walking around and taking notes on what everybody's making, I think I'm going to head into the church. Okay. Uh, whoever the appointed leader of this branch is. Okay. So <laughs> the only like church or cathedral like, buildings they had in this tool just like christian looking churches uh but i do like the idea of like a large colonnade on the front of it in a big plaza so like um i think you would approach this church and you would see like a huge heap of like scraps of like these machine like objects these these sort of like wheeled metal wagon things that look sort of spiky and twisted and it's as if like someone's been chucking these like onto a trash heap over weeks and in fact as you approach the the large double doors they fling open and the largest orc woman you've ever seen comes out holding one of these huge probably like 800 pound machines 800 pound or heavier machines like over her head and like nearly knocks you over and walks past you and chucks it onto the top of this pile and fumes off back into the church do i notice any vestments of the church on her or anything you do actually what you notice is she's she's wearing robes of green and gold that seem to match the sort of elven royalty facades you're seeing around but she also has i don't know like maybe something on her shoulder that uh, indicates she's a member of the church all right i'll follow in cool you go in and uh you see she immediately begins shouting in a mix of elvish and orcish to a group of young, terrified-looking elves and orcs who are gathered around small forges where they seem to be working on small parts of larger objects. And there are, like, parchment plans hung up all over the place for these siege weapons. Um, and they seem to immediately be setting to work to, to some new project. All right. I'll uh, kind of go around and look over all the manuscripts for a long while, just very pointedly not addressing anybody just yet. Get out my notebook and take down notes, move a couple pegs on the abacus, and then finally turn around and go, Hail! Uh, I think the forging equivalent of a record scratch happens. And everyone turns to look at you. And this, this huge orc woman in particular turns to you and says, Who are they throwing into this project now? I'm going to like take a knee. Not that I'm sure anybody could tell the difference. And just go... Gibetto Filchbatter, uh, Fonkin, Filchbatter, Knackle. I am of the first branch of the subterranean Church of the Immaculate Hammer. I am merely passing through. I'm not here to delay your work. Though I also have many questions about your work and will need to delay you briefly. <laughs> <laughs> um, on hearing your name, uh, she, she gestures to all the people around her and uh, to go back to work, which they do. Um, and she approaches you uh, and uh, extends her hand with respect for the secret handshake of the church, I guess. <laughs> like, yeah. I, th- oh, I, said, I think we said it was something about like hammering each other's fists or something. <laughs> I mean, that's a dream come true for Gibetto. Yeah, I think she would say, um, 
oh, I've had a letter from OPIC. She outlined everything you did for the Guildford Church, and I'm honored to have you here. And uh, has she sent you to aid us in our efforts? Well, first of all, I must begrudgingly admit that I did nothing alone. I travel with a party who is happening to be passing through this town. Though we will be here briefly, so I'm honored to help in any way I can. But I need to know what it is that you're crafting. I hear that you've been conscripted to create siege equipment for the attempts at Stone's Throw, and I'm incredibly curious. I've never seen forging quite to this scale. Honestly, we're only a few months in on this scale ourselves, and that's probably why it's going so terribly. We're trying to solve two problems at once. One is we need to build some sort of wagon that can be carried up steep mountainsides and be unable to be pushed back down. It needs to have unchecked progress, no matter what happens to it. And also, it needs to be able to carry several people and keep them protected, because everyone who tries to go up the mountain gets bashed back down by this veiled warrior. And there are people who are trying to outmatch the warrior with skill or cutting. I just want to do it with metal and spikes and shit. Fascinating. Admittedly, my brain is more wired for the metal and spikes and shit, but... That's great. I need more of that. Let me see what I can do. I may take uh, I may take more of this day to observe and take down some notes and formulate my own plans. Worst case scenario, I'll have no ideas, but there's a very slim chance of that. <laughs> uh, well, let me ask you something. Have you mastered fabrication? Funny you should ask. Not just yet. But it is something that I'm working towards. You know, uh, honestly, the stuff I have these folks working on right here, I think are preliminary designs that we're going to move through pretty quickly. And I think fabrication is going to be the key to making this work. I'm the only one around here who has mastered it. And since you seem to be good at what you do, I, I would love to, to train you in that so we can have another set of hands. I would be honored to receive any tutelage that you have to offer. I, I feel this is something that I'm just on the precipice of. Uh, I've toyed with it in my mind, and I feel close to it. Well, you got to start somewhere. If I could quantify my experience to a numeric system of, like, exponential skill, I'd be maybe one bar, maybe one rung below this. <laughs> That's fair. Well, well, just to entice you, let me give you a taste of what I can show you how to do. And she, like, gestures over with her hands to a pew... Like a probably like a fifteen foot long pew, and she like moves her hands up into the air, and the pew lifts in the air and morphs into a, a huge rocking horse, and it like steadies itself in front of like rocks in front of you and comes to a stop. The efficiency of a pew has been ruined, but the style is suddenly immaculate. That is our whole thing, and honestly, you know we're a popular church at least around here. And people have studied the literature, but I feel like they've missed the point. The reason it's called the Church of the Immaculate Hammer is because if you learn the craft of fabricating, you don't have to dirty your hammer at all. You do all the crafting with your mind and magic. You better, like, wipes a bit of drool. <laughs> <laughs> this is truly something. This is incredible. Again, I would be honored to learn anything you had to teach me. If I may, I would like to study the design, study the techniques that you guys are doing here. And I will have to confer with my party, as I did promise them this was a three-day excursion. <laughs> That's fine. Hey, just come by my quarters in the morning. Uh, I'm right next door. Name's Uloth, by the way. Uloth. Gibetto, Falkland, Filch, Batter, Nat. Yeah, I got, I got that. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> cool. What else? I mean, I guess what time of day are we approaching? Well, 
we, we seem to be panning around to what's going on with different people during the same day, but I don't know. Yeah. It can be afternoon. Because I do want to go to the wizard and to the queens, but I don't know that I want to do that without, like, consulting the whole group first. Mm-hmm. But I think Palfrey and Magnus maybe have narrowed down the thing they want to focus in on. Yeah, so yeah. I feel like we have gotten some good mileage out of things that involve an eldritch blast connecting with the shield. Mm-hmm. For example, two forms that might take are like Magnus shoots off an eldritch blast and then we use the shield to basically bank it like around a corner or into somebody who's in a concealed location. Yeah. And the second is a leaping attack in which Palfrey jumps into the air and Magnus shoots a, an eldritch blast that hits Palfrey in his little keister and knocks him <laughs> further up into the air so that he can fall and deal greater damage. And that, that might well deal a few points of damage to uh, Palfrey, too. If you're willing to cough up a few gold pieces, you could say that you get a special uh, buttock protector installed. Well, you know, I don't know if you know this, but there was one time when I, uh, at one point in my career, I had a special expertise in attacking enemies in the ass. You did. So maybe it's just, it's literally a CYA move for me to get a special <laughs> butt protector. <laughs> yeah they're uh arcane boxer briefs yeah i mean the only thing i really need protection from there is an eldritch blast so maybe there's some like enchantment that can be done that all it does is neutralize the eldritch blast it could just be like a little pleated skirt or something that would be fine it's your body <laughs> um but that's what we want we want to do like the eldritch blast to the shield things cool okay yeah sounds good to me. yeah maybe like dialing like getting precise about how to angle it Okay, cool. I like that. Yeah. I think after that, probably. I think we'd be done for the day after doing that for hours. Okay, okay. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, it sounds like, unless Pimlin has something, it sounds like we're meeting back at the uh, the tavern. No, this town seems a little uh, too highbrow and goody two-shoes for Pimlin. You know, and actually, I think it would be a strange experience to you because they have this, like, filter at the gate. And, like, there isn't an underbelly to this town. Yeah. I'm going to say Pimlin tried to find one, but he just can't. Everyone just seems too good. Yeah, and actually, I'm trying to think of how you would you would run into this. I think you because like I forget if it's like a stated ability as like a thief or as having a criminal background or something. But like you you can network in the criminal world, right? And I think what you would find maybe just by sniffing around or ask asking people here and there is that there are no small time criminals. There are no pickpockets. Small crime is not a thing here. But the question they ask at the gate is whether you are pure at heart and purity does not specify good or bad. So what you find is that like, I don't know. I don't know if you're like trying to like hustle a gig out of some, I don't know. I don't know what your specific thing you're looking for is, but like the untoward people you're able to scare up are like fucking scary psychopath, evil people. (laughs) All right. Um, and actually, I would say that, like, what little trail of suspicion you would scare up would lead you in the general direction of the offices of the High Lake Herald, uh, the uh, the newspaper of the city. Oh, interesting. Is there anything exciting there? Yeah, I think it's, like, a very uh, busy place. I think um, it's not someplace you could get into without credentials, but it seems like in the absence of, like, material crime... The evil deeds that can be done are, like, in the currency of ideas. And so I think maybe Pimlin would be able to suss out that, like, it is not an impartial paper. And there are people working there who are interested in 
pushing ideas in one direction or another for their own benefit. Mm -hmm. So Pimlin's finding out about biased media. (laughs) In short, yes. (laughs) All right, cool. I would like to sneak in, but I feel like... You can do whatever you want, man. Do it. Do it. All right. I'm going to try to sneak into the the newspaper. Okay, great. Yeah, and I was trying to think on what I'd be trying to look for. Yeah. Um, And then maybe any sort of, like, indication of a criminal network or, like, mob organization yeah i think the contact you would have been given by somebody who like understands what you're interested in uh would be horace halfheart how did he get past the filter (laughs) i actually am interested in what is your strategy for sneaking into this building i'm gonna assume that the uh the picture in the map is 100 percent accurate yes yeah you can can all right um and so at the top of these towers is there any like balconies yeah yeah let's say there's a small balcony on each of the four towers Alright. Does any of the four towers stand out to be more important than the others by, like, amount of people working, or... Hmm. Uh, we're getting towards evening here. Let's say that there is a light on in only one of the four towers. Alright, I'm gonna go that one. Cool. What do you mean, go? Uh, I'm gonna climb up. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. I still have rope, I think. Alright. Uh, well, I think I'm gonna take my pitons and just climb instead of using the rope. Okay, cool. So, up to the top. Which, which, hang on, that means, like, hammering metal pul- posts into the side of a commercial building? <laughs> well, it looks stone, right? It looks stone to yeah, me. Yeah, so, so I'm okay. going to assume that I can find, like, some maybe some cracks or... Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. Um, I think you're going to have disadvantage on a stealth check if you're trying to do this stealthily. All right. I'm going to do it on the backside that faces the lake. Okay. So it's visible to all the buildings on the other side of the lake. Got well, there's you. trees there, <laughs> but it's not visible to the okay, roof. Okay, that's that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. I'll, I'll still roll disadvantage, though. Yes, please. Uh, 16. Okay, yeah. I had 15 in my head, so, um, yeah. Cool. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so you're able to get onto this balcony, and I think there are, like, glass doors which show a room that's illuminated uh, inside, and you see a, uh, a tall, grave-looking... From the cut and material of his clothes, you would guess a wealthy elvish man uh, sitting at a desk. And there are like five or six people who look like reporters, I guess, who seem angry with him and uh, are trying to convince him of something. Hmm. I'm going to get closer and eavesdrop. Cool. I think it's another stealth check. That's 25. 25. Okay, cool. Yeah, I don't, know. I don't know if you're like putting a, a glass to the door or whatever. Like. <laughs> I think uh, you would hear, you'd be able to catch snatches of conversation. Mm. You would hear the phrase, they match the description you yourself gave. Uh, You would hear another reporter say, how can you tell us not to look into this? And you would hear another, uh, yet another reporter say as they're storming out, the queens will hear about this. How could we let murderers through our gates? That's not good. Is there a, a name plaque on the office? Yeah, I think uh, I think you can see like a mirror across the room, which reflects back to like the little like tent shaped thing on the desk, and it says Half Heart. Oh, that name sounds familiar. It does. I'm gonna wait till they all leave. Okay. Do they leave? Yeah, uh, they leave, and uh, and as you're waiting for them to leave, you hear a flock of uh, Canada geese somewhere out over the lake. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
uh, the, the man is alone. Uh, he puts his hand on his forehead as if he's exasperated uh, and is writing on a piece of parchment. All right. I want to sneak in there and kind of just surprise him by my stealth. Okay. <laughs> Another stealth roll, please. 22. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think you have the desired effect. Uh, <laughs> appear next to him and, oh, God. Oh. <laughs> Drops his, pe- his quill. Who are you? What are you doing here? Wait, I recognize you. You do? I recognize you from the press conference in Guildford. Oh, yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, how do you do, Horace? What were these uh, gentlemen in here uh, talking about? Murders in the city? That seems unlikely given the protection here. Indeed. I myself have wondered how you managed to get past the gates. So they are talking about us or me? Well, mostly you, but also your friends. Mm. Okay. Well, who do they think we murdered? Because I don't recall murdering anybody. Everything was self-defense. <laughs> well, I seem to recall your half-orc friend uh, giving some very unsatisfying answers to the accusation that you were responsible for the mysterious disappearance of Horatia of the Thieves' Guild of Guildford. Mm, interesting. Yeah, if I didn't know what I know, uh, I believe I'd draw the same conclusion that everyone else is drawing. Hmm. What do you know? Well, I know what I need to know. How about you share some of this information? Well, you just snuck into my office, so... Hey. (laughs) It was wide open, all right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, is there any indication the guards or the queens are going to kick us out or imprison us? Well, it it is my intention to... Uh, speak with the queens before any such decision is made. Mm, I'd appreciate that. I'm of the opinion that there's more to the situation than is generally known, as I'm sure you'll agree. Oh, yeah, certainly. Mm, you seem like a reliable fella. Let me perceive you real quick. <laughs> now, now perception, perception would be just like visible objects kind of stuff. Are you wanting to insight? Oh, like, yeah, I yeah, do. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. I want to see if he's lying or not. Yeah. Uh, that's a 15. 15. Okay. Yeah. He, this guy seems like a straight shooter. Um, he seems, I mean, I don't have to tell you this. He seems like a little condescending maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and he seems sort of annoyed with you, but he doesn't seem to be lying to you. All right. Well, since he's going to tell the Queens information that seems to benefit us, in the long run. Uh, I'm going to tell him the story about the whole Thieves Guild, how everything went down, so he has more ammunition. Okay. And what exactly was it that compelled you to so doggedly pursue Horatia and her captor? Uh, Well, they're pretty evil people. Oh, so you were just motivated by good. It wasn't that you were after any specific material gain. Well, I mean, that's the world we live in, though, isn't it, Horace? Sometimes materialistic things are just a bonus, an added bonus to doing a job well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially when that bonus could influence the uh, continued existence of our world, for example. Mm-hmm. Especially if that bonus could uh, be one-seventh of the uh, what would be needed to continue the survival of our world. And let me tell you, we're trying to keep the survival of the world going. I, I mean, so... The more of those objects in our possession, the better. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I do hope you're planning to see Ankaria while you're here. Ah, uh, yeah, I think uh, we do have that in mind. Uh, and speaking of which, I think I should go meet up with the group so we can we can do that. That would be good. 
and uh, be careful, please. Well, do. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to stealth my way out of the building. Cool. Uh, given your track record, let's just say, well, no, 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 no. Actually, no, I'm not letting you off. <laughs> oh, oh. All right. And I think specifically, I'm looking for acrobatics, Mr. Climbing Down a Tower. Yeah, that makes sense. That's uh, a 13. Hmm. That is below the 15 precedent that I set. So I think uh, I think you take a tumble down that big old pine tree I see right behind the, the building there. <laughs> oh, no. Did that take any hit point damage? Uh, yeah, we'll say you, you take uh, 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 my... I'm not in a good dice rolling situation. Uh, give yourself one d4 falling damage, if you would, please. Yeah, sure. Ah, it's a four. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you're going to sleep soon, so probably not a big deal. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so I think Pimlin rejoins the rest of you at this inn, picking uh, pine boughs out of his. Uh, well, I guess he has a shaved head, so not hair, but clothes. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Do we even want to know? I mean, if you want to. Did you steal anything? No. All right. First of all, I resent that. Second of all, I found out that um, people might not be terribly happy that we are here and may be going to the Queens to say that we are murderers and how it's disgraceful that we made it into the town. I have no idea what you mean. I've been nothing but well-received. I think you should rethink the choices you've made with your life. Me? (laughs) I'm telling you what's going to affect us. I just have a question. Uh, they obviously have these people at the gates that, to try and keep bad people out. But I would assume that there have been, you know, babies born in here. How do they uh, make sure that no one here is evil or has darkness in their heart? Is there some sort of, like, regular checkup? To <laughs> maybe stick a Q-tip way up your nose? <laughs> are you babies are born evil? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we don't know. We don't That's know. That's true. <laughs> he was like up at the bar asking this. <laughs> That's a good question. I agree. That's a very good question. I wonder like what the birth rate of this town is. Like half the denizens of this town are almost effectively immortal. So maybe it just doesn't come up that often. Let's conduct a census. <laughs> I will allow a fourth day for census. Great. Glad to see we're on the same page. This is of the utmost curiosity. I also have been talking to some folk. It sounds like they're having difficulty preparing for their siege of Stone's Throw. Yes. Maybe with my knowledge of beating hot iron into submission your knowledge of the lay of the land, maybe you can meet with strategists or something, and then the rest of you are also valuable. I want to make that clear. (laughs) I mean, a big part of the problem up at Stone's Throw is a veiled warrior, which, given the rumors that we heard about Lady Gwendeth's retirement to Stone's Throw, I think, Paul Free, we may have to entertain the possibility that she is purple. Yeah, well, we were, um, we've been sort of prepared to contemplate that and we we talked about it a little bit last time yeah my feeling is that uh if indeed lady gwendath has been somehow brainwashed or conscripted into serving gilas in the siege and also if her power has grown significantly since last time i saw her then this is not a job that we can leave to the regulars this is something that uh where we basically owe we owe them our help because i don't think anybody could defeat her who did not know her 
Yeah. And I can guarantee you that there is nothing about Tommy Gillis having control in Stone's throat that is a good thing. I mean, he's the kind of person who would throw a rock through a stained glass window that someone's grandfather had made in their house. You know, he has no consideration for others and the things that they hold dear. All right. But I think we know what we need to do. I have one just very preliminary question. We've experienced a lot of fantastical objects and a lot of wonderful, powerful items, and several of them have been weapons. You carry with you Lady Gwendath's walking stick. Well, my walking stick, Lady Gwendath's sword. Would she have any sort of mastery over it that we should know about? Is it bound to her in any way? Could she turn it on us? Quite frankly, that thing is terrifying. Finders keepers, man. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> I knew you'd have my back on that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, so, so Palfrey is going to draw on his knowledge of the code of chivalry here and assert that a weapon like Lady Gwendoth's sword is only to be wielded by one who upholds the principles that it was created to defend. In other words, it's difficult for Palfrey to say this without it sounding rather arrogant coming from him, and that is not what he means. But like, if Lady Gwendath has become a villain, then the sword would rather not be hers anyway. That's reassuring. At least that's the way it's supposed to work. What if she's just really morally ambiguous? <laughs> then you've got me. That's Terra Incognita. <laughs> the ambiguously moral Gwendath. <laughs> <laughs> So, so for tomorrow, for tomorrow, should we help prepare for these assaults? They're awaiting some amount of increase in numbers or technologies. And from what I know from the church, the technology is not quite there yet. Sounds like the first thing we need to do is damage control with the queens and see if they even want our help. Why wouldn't they want my help? Well, our, not your. If they, if they don't want our help, I think that we have to take the fight to Stone's Throw regardless. I've, I've already told the head of this branch of the church that you are all with me. So through my good deeds, you should oh, all so, be next, But So we're good then. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand what queens could have over that. but Well, it's a matter of, of courtesy. You know, things that you do to fuel bureaucracy, not necessarily because they make the most logical sense. Courtesy, like when you send a raven to let the other family of Sferf Neblin know that you've foreclosed on their house? Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah. It's like he's waving us into the world's worst nightclub. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're with him. I also need to take this letter to Ankaria? Ankaria, yeah. Ankaria. To see what she may add to the knowledge that we already have of the magical side of things. I must feel like we should see her because... Uh... Mr. Horace up in that uh, Herald Tower, so it seemed pretty important to meet with her. Did you get caught sneaking somewhere? Oh, no, no, no. I purposely made myself appear. Oh. Yeah, did a little boo. And nice. uh, he told me some information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure you were discreet as ever, Pimlin. You know it. That reminds me, I left my rope on the side of that tower. <laughs> <laughs> so we should add getting more rope to the shopping list. It's always something with all of you. The coffers are not infinite. 
I don't think you appreciate that at any given time I have to calculate in the expenses of buying a casket for any one of you. And it's way more expensive for all you tall ones. I don't want a casket. If, yeah. if something should happen to me, just let me lay upon the earth and decompose. My people... <laughs> I, I really don't want a casket. It's not, not my thing. Actually, there's a middle ground between no casket and just <laughs> letting your body rot on the, in the dirt. Like, we can go over one point of your, of your burial or entombment. Yeah. We can't allow whatever disease takes you out because let's face it, whatever kills you is heinous. Um, if, if only there was a mortician in your party. Come on now. I know. But no, this is, actually, this is actually an important moment because we, this is when, uh, this is a rather grim conversation to have, but this is like, we, Suka is important to us and we are not going to just abandon her corpse. <laughs> well, that, I, I appreciate that. I I want to make clear that my point is that I, I I don't want to be buried in the earth. I would like to have some type of natural. I, I don't know. I want to become a part of nature. Like make me a tree. Like something like that. That's yeah. Yeah. Stones <laughs> get buried in small avalanches. So that that's what you have to do for me. We usually just fire our dead from the corpse cannons into the yawning pit, but... <laughs> Efficient. So, Gebetto, it sounds like really the only person who needs a casket is Palfrey. So you can, like, eliminate all of these cas <laughs> this casket money. I don't know how many arborists you've been to, but trees are also incredibly expensive, especially the ones that eat corpses. Fair. Also, cannons are pretty expensive, and I don't know where we're going to find a pit. <laughs> Why do you need a cannon to shoot it into a pit? Just, just kind of <laughs> nudge it in the general direction. I mean, you want to be really, really sure that it doesn't climb back out. Oh, okay. <laughs> On that note, I'm going to go to sleep and sleep well. Cool. Same. Contemplating all of your deaths. <laughs> cool. You sleep. You get the benefits of sleep as dictated by this game. And I believe I said it costs a gold piece a night, so deduct a gold piece from your yep. coffers. I've got it. Uh, Hemo, by the way, and for that matter, uh, what, what's your pony's name, Palfrey? It's like a forget-me-not, I think was the... <laughs> oh, no, that sounds right. No, it's not written, so yeah, but forget, I think forget-me-not. Okay. Like it's really ironic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, your animals seem very happy, and in fact, Hemo, your cow uh, has sprouted a few more feathers. And the feathers seem a little colorful. Seems to be returning to her former splendor in a small way. I just didn't want to forget about the animals. Please continue. All right, we gotta go talk to some regal people. Is it customary that we wear something formal? I still have blood on my armor. We should probably at least care of that. <laughs> yeah, I think your elven friends would have the best idea of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, out of the uh, out of the game here. I don't really know what elves like, but um, we'll just go with, yeah, uh, generally we, we tend to be present ourselves in cleanly fashion. So maybe we should at least wipe the blood off. I don't know. The elves aren't judgy. I mean, getting the blood off is good, but you don't have to, like, get dressed up or anything. Right. This is royalty. <laughs> These elves are, are a bit judgy. I mean, just, just, just look. <laughs> look around. I mean... <laughs> You guys could totally prank the rest of the party and be like, oh, well, uh, uh, full frontal nudity is a sign of respect. <laughs> <laughs> I think Palfrey's probably just going to wear his armor. Yeah. You don't have, like, dress armor? Oh, like parade armor? No, I, I don't, unfortunately. <laughs> like with a big and... 
My yeah, new I'll get them someday. Well, I suppose I'll just wire, bro, like, you know, steel wool my all of my bits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Spend some time getting presentable. Cool. Gibetto's bits are presentable. <laughs> <laughs> Next week on Gibetto's bits. <laughs> this is be like the sidecar campaign to this campaign where it's just it's just two hours a week of Gibetto like going through and talking about his possessions and little pieces. <laughs> like like Andy Rooney. <laughs> anyway, uh, and a uh, an elf that looks like Andy Rooney goes shuffling outside the tavern carrying a barrel, I guess. <laughs> Uh, so you're getting ready to visit someone important. Uh, who are you visiting and who is going? So we, we want an audience at the palace to clear our names, right? Mm-hmm. That's like our main goal. Yeah, yeah with, with the queens, I think. If, if, if that is a thing, let's not assume that we carry enough weight. I mean, I've used a lot of my name already. I, know, I don't know how much is left to get us an audience directly with the local monarchs. Yeah. Um, but maybe some sort of like lordship or uh i think uh magnus wants an audience with the queens because of what he saw in the weave like he saw that really powerful figure so i Mm -hmm. think he just wants to like i think he now sees any powerful person as a potential weapon for the enemy so he wants to like get a read on this person do we know who uloth is i do yeah, Ju- okay. Jubetta, right. yeah, Yulaf would have introduced herself fully to you, Jubetta, which is that she is uh, the head of the, the local branch of the Church of the Immaculate Hammer and also the royal smith of uh, the Court of High Lake. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. I, I guess I feel like learning the rest of the party, we don't know much about the queens, right? Yeah. So perhaps we should learn a little more before we walk right in there? Yeah. That seems like a good idea. Yeah, I agree. So maybe should we go to the wizards first to get a read on the queen from them queens from them or should we talk to like normal people i think the normal people are are probably going to have been uh they're going to believe whatever they're told by this newspaper that is very reputable i hear um so (laughs) we should probably go with other sources like like the wizards yeah okay cool so you're heading to the tower of ancaria yes Mm -hmm. uh so you head to the tower of ancaria you are greeted by some sort of mage acolytes, or you know, low, low-ranking low mages of, of some sort of elvish wizardry order, and they inform you that Ankaria herself is not there presently, that she was called to the royal palace this morning for a high council, which is expected to last uh, several hours into the afternoon, but there are some lower-ranking wizards who'd be happy to address your magical needs, if you like. I have some questions. Uh, does Ankaria often go to provide counsel to the uh, royalty, the two, two queens? Uh, yes, she is the high wizardress of the royal court of High Lake. I guess what I'm asking is, is she often consulted? Oh, yes, uh, sometimes daily. Okay, all right. Yeah, she is also a pr- uh, grew up with their majesties and remains a close friend of theirs. Um, okay. I mean, I guess we can ask these folks, like, you know, we're we're visiting in town. We've heard a lot about the queens, but... We've never been somewhere with multiple royals, so, you know, what's their story? Have they been in power long? They would tell you uh, that they are the daughters of the late King Orim, O-R-I-M, who was the founder of High Lake and who led the elven people out of the Harrowwood and into this new settlement high in the mountains. The late King Orim was under the influence of the evil chairman Rigel, 
And uh, actually, one of the, the biggest events in the Final Countdown Uprisings was when Rausera led a uh, battalion of rebels into High Lake and removed Rigel's influence and retook the city for the free peoples of the world. But unfortunately, Rigel's parting shot was to destroy King Orem, who died and left his twin daughters as the twin queens of High Lake. Uh, and they have been overseeing a period of prosperity and progressive inclusion as it, as it pertains to uh, races and such uh, in their 25 years of reign that they've had. So I take it they are not fond of Emperor Rigel or his kind. I've not heard that title applied to him, but Rigel was certainly a, a terrible foe to freedom in this world. Couldn't agree more. Um, I guess when we do leave here, which if other folks have stuff they want to ask, uh, I guess I want to leave the letter of introduction mm, and okay. ask that he, like, you know, summon us or get in touch with us. Sure. Yeah, they happily take that and they take down your particulars, which I guess is by this map is like 100 yards across the square uh, yeah. <laughs> to, to where you're staying. Uh, but they say they'll be happy to reach out when, when she is available to you. Do we, do we know the backstory as to how the orcs and elves came to um, coexist peacefully? I think the only person who would maybe know anything about that would be Magnus. And I think you would just be vaguely aware. I think like this is a pretty recent development. And I think the sort of refugee camps around the city gates suggest that the influx of orcs is relatively recent. Um, mm -hmm. But maybe, I don't know, it's kind of up to, up to you, Magnus, like, to what degree, because this is really close to where you grew up. So I don't know yeah. if you, like, hung out here or what, but... No, I don't think Magnus has ever been here. I don't think he's ever he ever went that far from home. I think, like, the orcs, like, passed through High Lake and sort of did trade and maybe odd jobs and uh, maybe the Church of the Immaculate Hammer was actually their way into the city. I like that. Yeah, that's great. Like we see that in the sort of joined armor styles where that was sort of where they got their foothold. Some of their craftsmen mm -hmm. joined up with the church. And so because more and more of them started coming and working in this religious community, that's sort of how they gained a foothold of acceptance that then they were able to cash in on once they started seeking safety. And I think I'd add to that, like, I think Hemo, like Hemo's experience in this place is maybe interesting because Hemo comes from like a sort of living in the wilderness, essentially. Right. Like, and, yeah. and yeah, like living off the land, living simple. Yeah. yeah. And like practical knowledge is like essential to survival. Whereas this place is, like, maybe the most, like, advanced or developed place in this world. And I think maybe, like, it would be the kind of thing where you could see a narrative where the elves got so into, like, their, their highly advanced craft work that, like, they lost some basic knowledge. And maybe the orcs sort of brought that mm -hmm. and, like, kind of fill, filled in what was missing there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I guess if there's a high council at the palace, is there anything else we want to do before we attempt an audience? And by the way, I think the folks at this tower would tell you that it is typical that following a high council, there would be a period where the court is open to the public for people who want audiences with royalty. Oh, okay. So maybe we should go get on that line. Yep. Cool. I think you literally get in a line with like 
people with like various petty complaints, like, <laughs> you know, this or that public work is not functioning to my benefit. And that, I have a zoning question. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, uh, you approaching this Royal palace, um, right outside of it, there's a, um, it's grand in a different way, but there is a cluster of orcish buildings, which seem to be a, a focal point for the orcs of the city. Uh, but as you pass into the, the Elven Palace, there is a high tower. The highest tower in town is at, well, I've placed it separate from the palace, but I consider it part of the palace structure. Like, um, But uh, it's surrounded by beautiful gardens, and you do, in fact, join a, a queue, and they ask you, uh, who are you and what is your business, so that I might announce you properly. I feel like we're all looking at each other like, who's going to save Benjamin? Yeah. <laughs> Technically, we are vengeance uh, when assembled together, but separately, we do each have our own names. It's not like we are a community organism. And we wish to speak with the queens. I must say, your moniker is unsettling, but... Uh, it's an inside joke. <laughs> well, I guess you'll be taking it inside the palace. Um, what, what exactly is your business in meeting with the queens? We wish to clear our names. It's come to our attention that there is not necessarily good favor for us in this town, and we are here to help with many of your efforts, and we wish only to do so in the most above-board of capacities, even the degenerates among us. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't deeply suspicious of your motives, but I also know that our queens are formidable, as are their counselors, and uh, if you have any ill will towards them, you will certainly suffer at their hands. So I will pass you into uh, the next queue, <laughs> and you're admitted into uh, the palace. To cut to the quick, uh, when it is your turn, you are escorted into a uh, not a very large chamber, almost like more like the size of a living room, and it seems uh, it's a surprisingly casual space with books and scrolls on the walls and uh, casual furniture strewn here and there. But there is a small dais, and there are um, there is a pair of thrones, one of which is occupied by a tall elf woman. On her left and right, you see two figures. One is another tall elf woman wearing, I would say, copious uh, emerald robes and bearing a tall, uh, ornate staff with a small orcish trinket hanging from the top of it. And on the other side, seated in a chair, Pimlin would recognize Horace Halfheart, of the High Lake Herald. And the second queen seems to be distracted uh, looking out a window toward the tower of the palace uh, and doesn't appear to be paying attention to the proceedings. And you are announced, and they await your words. I would really like to, to Ted Lasso this and grab a, my, the bread, the packet of bread out of my backpack and just, like, offer them some bread, like... Here's some biscuits and introduce ourselves. That's great. Uh, the, the queen seated on the throne says, thank you. Thank you. We're stuck here for this audience for hours and hours, and no one ever thinks to bring refreshment. This is wonderful. Thank you. Suka, did you say it was? Yes, yes. Excellent, excellent. Well, what exactly is it we can do for you, Suka and co? I'm going to let and co speak, because speaking is not really my strong suit. Oh, just offering bread? Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to say, while um, some of our party is about to ramble on a little longer than necessary, I'm going to start slowly moving away from the party and towards the queen that is staring out the window, if I can. So my goal is to try and talk to her. Sure. Yeah. Uh, 
we have come here today because we have heard of the trouble in Stone's Throw. That is my hometown. And Gebetto over here is somehow well-respected in the Church of the Immaculate Hammer, and they have asked for his help. And we just wanted to offer our help because we are pure of heart enough to have been accepted into your city. <laughs> yes, you know, I can't say, and this is still, still the seated queen speaking, uh, I can't say I'm especially fond of our method of determining who comes and, and who is not allowed to come in, but... Uh, you did indeed pass that bar, however low it may be. In any case, we are more than happy to have you added to this effort as the enslavement of orcs in the mountains has any amount is unacceptable, but the levels to which it has been rising in recent weeks is cause for alarm, and we need to nip this uh, Gilas fellow in his uh, misty buds, as it were. I couldn't agree more. Uh, how exactly do you plan to aid in this pursuit? Well... We have a very special set of skills. Uh-huh. We have encountered mighty magical foes before. Such as? Honestly, I'm just really good at hitting things with magic. <laughs> uh, but can I make an insight check? Uh, yeah. Because Magnus is debating mentioning Rigel, but I want to get a read on whether I think that's a good idea. Sure. Uh, that would be a 17. Okay. So you're reading the room with this. The queen who is sort of staring out the window does indeed seem to be absent-minded and doesn't seem to be paying any attention to what's going on. Uh, the queen that you've been speaking with seems engaged with you, but kind of seems like she's just sort of moving through these ceremonies as she can. Um, the two advisors, Ankaria and Horace Halfheart, are very intent on what you're saying and seem to be like hanging on your every word. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say, since she asks... Like, what foes? I'm going to say, well, most recently, Rigel. You must be joking. I'm afraid not. He's quite red and quite fond of, of turning people that we've encountered against us. Uh, she calls to the sentry at the door and says, oh, you sent gestures for us. They say they fought ghosts of foes from days gone by. And I should note that it's not especially funny, given that he's responsible for the death of our father. Hence why I wouldn't joke about it. Perhaps the demeanor of my compatriot here lends you to thinking that he would joke. Observe, we have gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with the one known as Rigel. Emperor Rigel, now. I haven't laughed in about 16 years. <laughs> I, I believe it. You wear it on your face, friend. This is indeed a serious matter if what you say is true. I can't say that I believe you, but I can say that it seems worth investigating your claims further. Why don't you take up some of the time of one of my counselors here, and they can be the judge of whether your claims are valid. I can actually, if you are so interested, do you one better. I'd like to cast Zone of Truth. <laughs> okay. Select any one of wish to speak with, and I will put a zone upon them that compels them to speak not but fact. <laughs> she says, that's a thing? Why don't we just have that in here all the time? <laughs> Far be it from me to question the ruling of a city-state, but that does seem like an oversight. Mm -hmm. So I think this compels them to believe you. Th this is like very, very major news, and I think both Horace and Ankaria seem 
pretty upset that this information has gone from you guys to the queen. And I think they are saying to the queen, there must be some other explanation, your majesty. And they're like locking eyes with you as, as they're saying this. I think your initial instinct was correct. This is something that your advisors should look into before you let it weigh on your royal minds. We would certainly be happy to discuss it with whomever. Let's cut to, uh, what's Hemo doing with, with this other queen here? Yeah. I, I just wanted to walk over and uh, see what she was uh, longing, or why was she staring out the window? Like uh, I wanted to try and talk to her uh, quietly and kind of be sympathetic and say, hey, what's bothering you? Uh, what, what's on your mind? You know, Try yeah. and get another angle of information, basically. Okay, uh, let's start with a perception check from Hemo. Sure. I get rolled a natural one. <gasps> no kidding. Okay, I think I think you're like approaching her, and I think uh, like a guard notices you approaching her and and like rebuffs you and and sort of pushes you back toward the group. Okay. Um, I think the counselors are suggesting that they could take their leave and uh, retire to Ankaria's tower. She has her own damn tower, after all, to continue this conversation with you all. Uh, and the queens are amenable to this. Okay. Better than nothing. Seems silly to have left the letter of introduction there now. <laughs> <laughs> Can I press to digitate a new letter of introduction so that we don't look silly? <laughs> Sure. I do that and, and give it to Magnus. And we can be like, oh, we left a copy, but... Mm, there yeah. it is, yeah. Yeah, and I'll hand over the prestidigitated one to her. Cool. Yeah, I think this conversation is going to take longer than four minutes, so yeah. let's wrap here. You have to go dock a boat. <laughs> I do have to go dock a boat. Get back to land safely, Captain. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Everybody good for next week? Yep. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Cool. All right. See you then. Have a good night. Have a good week, everybody. Thanks, Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye.